Get ready, because Scott's is taking over Daylight Saving Time. It's such a big event that we're calling it Daylong Saving Time. And now it's got real savings. In fact, it's the biggest deals of the year. Audacious? Absolutely. So don't wait. Stock up early and you'll be able to save up to $20 on Scott's Triple Action and Easy Seed products today at the Home Depot and Lowe's. Offers available March 9th through 22nd at select U.S. stores. While supplies last, selection varies by location. See store for exact offers. Welcome to Millennial 720. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. So I'm so happy to be back, y'all. I was off last week because Mark and I went to New Orleans for our COVID liberation. It was the first trip we've been able to take in well over a year because we were fully vaccinated by the time we went. And it was awesome. I would also say it was awesome that y'all had Karen on in my absence last week. I really enjoyed listening to her and I loved how positive she was about the Karen stereotype and how she's not taking it too seriously. You'll never think of Karen's the same way again, right? No, that's the thing. And she's probably the nicest Karen I've like, I would say interacted with. I haven't interacted with her, but like, she's probably the nicest Karen I've heard like on a a first hand basis. You know what I mean? She's changing the perception of Karen's one by one. Exactly. But um, yeah, it it was great having her on. Did you get super drunk in New Orleans? So actually, I didn't get super drunk. I feel like I'm mostly beyond that point in my life. I'm not going to say that I never do it. But for the most part, we just really enjoyed letting our feet take us wherever they were going to take us. We just sort of walked around and found things to do, met a lot of really cool people. I don't usually make friends on vacation, um, but there were so many great people, particularly people in the New Orleans service industry who are amazing. Please, like, this is a separate conversation for another time. It's been rough times, y'all. Tip your your service industry folks, your bartenders, your waiters, your hosts, everyone. Be sure to tip everyone because they're all working so hard to make sure that we get to have a great time. And that was, you know, no different uh, in our New Orleans experience. Everyone was fantastic. We did a great haunted tour. Um, so we Ooh. walked around and looked at all of this haunted stuff, like the La Lurie Mansion and Lafitte's. Um, as well as we walked by Marie Laveau's. And apparently everywhere you walk in New Orleans, you're walking on dead bodies. So everything's haunted. Uh, what? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have died there. <laughs> um, uh, okay. I mean, New Orleans <laughs> has... Okay, That's intense. So I learned this on my <laughs> yeah. tour. New Orleans has burned down twice in its history. It's also had like yellow fever that's killed a lot of people over time. There's also been tons of pirate activity and mob activity there that have gotten some people dead real quick. So there's just a lot of history there that kind of substantiates the haunted lore of the city. And I will say, Mark brought an EMF reader because we're nerds. Oh, my gosh. And we brought it on our haunted tour. And we got some shit, y'all. Like, I I also feel kind of, 
I'm a little bit like I'm fascinated by ghosts. I don't necessarily actually believe in them, but I find it a very interesting topic. Um, But we did a control test with that EMF reader. We played around with it here at home in Georgia, got nothing, no dangerous readings whatsoever. (laughs) We even played around with it in our Airbnb in New Orleans. Nothing. When we went on that fucking haunted tour, it was going off like crazy. Especially at the LaLaurie Mansion, um, which is where that crazy bitch like tortured people in a back room. Um, So, yeah, so much fascinating history. If you're into creepy shit, if you're into weird shit, New Orleans is the city for you. The only thing I regret about it is that we couldn't stay longer. (laughs) (laughs) We had so much fun. (laughs) <laughs> Good. I'm glad to hear that. Now, did you go to Bourbon Street? You of must course. Have. A little of, bit. Yeah. yeah. To be honest with you, it was too packed for me. Mm. Like, it's, I mean, it was cool to Especially see. Especially right now. Yeah, it was cool to see. And it was really interesting to see people back in that sphere. It was like 50% of the people were wearing masks. 50% weren't. And it's awkward because you're like, I don't know, maybe they're vaccinated. And the mask mandate had just been lifted before that. So we were like, we don't really know what to think. But everyone we talked to across the board was like, oh, yeah, I've been vaccinated. They might have been lying. I don't know. But everybody we interacted with seemed to be very positive about being vaccinated and thinking that it was a good idea. Um, But Bourbon Street was just... It it was so packed, and I feel like I'm really beyond those heavy party years of my life that we we spent some time there, but we were ready to move on from it to other things. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, so did you see the girl uh, beating people up in the barber chair and feeding them shots? No, um, I looked for her. I did not see oh. anything like that. So probably. Oh. They're still being a little bit cautious in that bar. Yeah. Okay. How about my uh, electric guitar boyfriend? Did you see him? I looked for him too. Um, it seemed to be, <sighs> I don't know what it was, if this is normally how it is in New Orleans, but it seemed like the Latin beats were more popular during the time that we were there. Every bar we oh. went into was doing like Latin themed music, which cool. I was super into. I was like, fuck yeah, I can groove out to this. But yeah, no, no guitar boyfriend, Andrew. Are you telling me you walked down Bourbon Street and not once heard a band performing Sweet Home Alabama? No, there was one point we heard Carry On My Wayward Son, but that was the only one that we heard. Yeah. Bar bar band staple. Yeah. Okay. Damn. Well, I hope uh, COVID didn't get some of my NOLA favorites or else I'm going to be really sad. I think we should go. I think that three of us should go together as like a bonding trip. I think we would have <laughs> we would have an amazing time. Mark and I are already yes. planning our next trip back because we were like, this place is awesome. It's, as I've said before, one of my favorite cities in America. It's so unique. It's so beautiful. So many, like you, I know you, te- you teased a couple weeks ago that you'd be going off the well-traveled path and there's just a lot to explore. So I'm glad to hear that you had a great time and uh, I assume stayed safe with the whole mask situation. Were you wearing your mask Yeah, whenever possible? I wore my mask anytime an establishment required it. Um, which was all of them. They were all still requiring you to put on a mask to come indoors. 
Um, but as soon as you were seated at your table, you were allowed to remove it. And of course, if I got up to go to the bathroom or leave, um, I would absolutely put it back on. And if I found myself in a crowded situation, I would also put one back on. But thankfully, it wasn't super packed there yet. Only Bourbon Street was super packed. Everything else was kind of more chill. Well, speaking of New Orleans, this story broke in the New York Times this week. I thought it was pretty interesting. Some states had allowed alcohol to be ordered to go during the pandemic to help out bars and restaurants. But now nearly 20 states have approved measures to keep to-go cocktails around, and another 15 states are considering similar bills. And a representative for the National Restaurant Association said this was the most dramatic change in state alcohol laws since the 1933 since the 1933 repeal of prohibition. So this is a pretty big deal in the alcohol world. There actually hasn't been much pushback from lawmakers and resistance to the ideas mainly coming from liquor stores who think they might lose business to this. Um, This does not change open carry laws. You can't drink it in a car or while walking around town, except for certain entertainment districts like New Orleans and uh, the Vegas Strip. These new laws are far-reaching and, like I said, a big change. But my question is, is a cocktail at a restaurant ever so good that you want to pick one up and take it home? I feel like part of the cocktail experience is having it at that restaurant or bar. What's the fun of these cocktails if you're having it in your limit living room it doesn't seem as exciting to me would you guys do this consider that like the feature to be almost like an add-on or an upsell for the restaurant yeah personally i would not go somewhere just to buy like i can't think of one place that i visit with regularity that i feel like i would have to go there and say hey i really need this drink but I also really only drink vodka sodas and I can make those very easily at home. So I guess if your drink is like a margarita, then maybe this might be up your alley, you know, if you can't make that. And a very unique margarita. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's a restaurant down the street from me that's a Mexican food restaurant. And I'm pretty sure the only reason they were able to survive is because they kept their happy hour menu open and they have like a full margarita menu for their happy hour. And yeah. And so I think it probably really helped them. I think liquor stores honestly would be just fine, though, because they were not hurting during the pandemic, even when you could purchase drinks to go from restaurants. So, yeah. Yeah. And I guess I just think we may be seeing a shift, at least for some people, in terms of how much they're enjoying eating out at restaurants anymore. Like even uh, the other day. Mark was like, hey, like, let's get because we love breakfast. I mean, we love all food. Like, let's be real. But we particularly like breakfast food. And he was like, hey, do you want to get IHOP? And I was like, oh, that sounds great. And he was like, "Okay, well, I can go pick it up. And I was like, well, we could always just go like we don't have to do the takeout thing if you don't want to. And he was like, ah, fuck that. I don't I don't want to go sit inside there. And so I'm wondering if we're starting to see an evolution for certain people, not all. But maybe people are going to prefer to enjoy their meals in the comfort of their own home and not want to yeah. have to be in a loud restaurant. Yeah. And at it's least possible. you can bring your drink home and get drunk and not have to worry about driving home and potentially getting pulled over, you know? That is that is very nice. I just, you know, I'm sure there are some drinks that are mind-blowingly good and worth maybe taking home. But I've never, and this is my problem too. When I go to a restaurant, I guess I, I'm normally kind of simple like Pam. 
I do a gin and soda, or I do a beer. And these are things I can get anywhere or just make myself at home. Um, I will say, though, and I've wanted to bring this up for a while, when you take out food, it just doesn't taste the same after it's been sitting in that styrofoam container wrapped up for a while. You know what I mean? It, it looks different. It tastes different when you get it to go. It always tastes better when it's straight well, yeah, out of the kitchen. Because you're getting it fresh, right? Right. Yeah. But even even a half hour later after a car ride sitting in a styrofoam box, I think it tastes different. Yeah. And that's why I, I'm not, I mean, some food still ends up being good, but some is just different after it's been smushed up in there. So yeah, I, I will mean, still be eating at restaurants. That's the carcinogens from Uh-oh. the styrofoam. Oh, crap. <laughs> I, I'm kidding, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I hear what you mean. I mean, I think also, you know, restaurants are probably, and I can't speak for every restaurant. I know there are plenty of them that source fresh ingredients, but if you're not sourcing fresh ingredients, stuff is obviously going to taste way better when it's hot off the line rather than being hot off the line and then cooling down over the course of 30 minutes before somebody gets to eat it, you know? Yeah, of course. I've noticed a difference for sure after getting more takeout over the past year. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. My final point actually is that I'm glad to see this happening. I think this is super cool. I just don't think I will personally be ordering drinks to go, but maybe I'll try it once from a really cool cocktail bar in Vegas. I will say I found it really cool in New Orleans that I could walk out of the bar with my drink and get into my Uber with my open container. (laughs) And it didn't matter and nobody cared. <laughs> I didn't know you could. Are you technically allowed to do yes. that and bring it into an Uber? Yes. Really? Can you do that in Vegas? I know. I it's pretty cool. So. You can walk out on the strip with it, of course. But I don't know if you can. I doubt anybody will tell you to fuck off. But I don't know if that's legal in Vegas. I'll have to look into that. By the way, they have um, drive through daiquiri places, I think, in New Orleans, Laura, or like drive through alcoholic slushy places, something. I went to one they once do. a few years ago. Yeah, we yeah, just... that's cool. We didn't want to fuck with the car when we got there, so we just found a parking garage and parked it there so that we didn't right. have to keep, like, getting it in and out of parking because we knew we were going to walk an Uber while yeah. we were there. I just... And I think I did take some sips after ordering. I wasn't driving. Somebody else was. Uh, but that was a weird experience, drinking in a car after going through a drive through that's dedicated to serving alcoholic drinks. Well, jumping into something that's been in the news quite a bit lately, um, but that I will fully admit that I don't consider myself to be very well versed in, but I feel like we also have to at least address it, is the news coming out of Israel and Palestine in the last couple of weeks. And I want to first acknowledge that this is a really complicated issue with a complex history. And I think we're all, I mean, I don't know, I could be talking like out of my ass right now, but I feel no, you're like probably right. Yeah, I feel like maybe we don't like we might not be the most knowledgeable people to speak to this issue. And so this isn't an attempt to try and come up with a fix or propose a solution or anything like that. I just wanted to raise that I'm feeling a little uncomfortable figuring out how to talk about this because it feels like right now things are so polarized 
that you can't say anything about this without being labeled as like 100% pro-Israel or 100% pro-Palestine. And it feels like the issue is way more complicated than that. I feel like you can criticize the Israeli government and you can also criticize Hamas without being anti-Semitic or Islamophobic. And you can mm-hmm. also condemn the increase in, anti-Semit- in anti-Semitism that has occurred as a result of this. Um, and you can also condemn Hamas's actions while understanding why Palestinians feel the way they do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's an uncomfortable topic. And I felt like we had to at least acknowledge it because yeah i know that we have listeners who are personally impacted by this and i'm just interested in opening up a dialogue because i don't consider myself to be terribly well informed on this topic yeah and like like you said there's a lot of history here going back thousands of years yeah actually if you want to go all the way back to the beginning and my my thoughts on it <laughs> without stepping on any uh uh, upsetting any people is just to say innocent people shouldn't be dying. Yeah, that's like that's the one thing I think everybody can agree on. And a lot of in- innocent people have died over the past couple weeks alone. That's my only thought on it. Yeah, and there has been a ceasefire, so at least there's that for now. Yeah, but it feels like this happens. It, it's not like this is the first time we've seen this happen, right? It's like it right. it crops up again and again, and. I don't think there's any shame in saying that I believe Israel and Palestine both have a right to exist (laughs) and the people who live there have a right to do so in peace and without fear of having their houses fucking bombed. And I understand why if you were having bombs lobbed at you all the time, why it would make somebody feel like the other side is the bad guy, right? And I understand that it's really fucking complicated because the United States funds Israel's military. So it's just a really complex issue. And I guess what I'm hoping for is that at least in our community, like the the reach that we have, that people can be understanding with each other Mm -hmm. and not jump to conclusions. Because I feel like, especially on Twitter seeing a lot of this and it just makes it really hard to address the issue at all right maybe and again like feel free to write in and tell me that i'm talking out of my ass if this all sounds ridiculous but i would be really interested in hearing from listeners who are closely connected to this issue if you have like if you yourself live in this region or if you have friends or family who do or if you're a member of the larger communities that are connected to this i would be really interested in hearing your thoughts because i want to educate myself better i do think that laura is really right in saying that it is kind of hard to talk about this um last week when we were playing the show I kind of felt bad that we didn't bring it up, but it is just such a hard topic to not almost devote a full episode to because we're not really doing anybody that is uninformed uh, service by, you know, only dedicating like what maybe like each story that we do is 15 minutes maximum. It's just not enough time to really cover, um, you know, all of the background information you kind of need to understand how we got here. So I, I have not been following this as closely as I wish I had. But 
Um, I've definitely been trying to keep up here and there when possible. The footage from the ground is insane. You know, like now everybody has a smartphone. Mm -hmm. So I think that like, it's just impossible to ignore. Right. It's gotten better documented as time has passed too. Yeah. Yeah. Even on TikTok and stuff, there's so many young people that are, you know, filming their realities um, living through this. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, And just to clarify something, when I said this dates back thousands of years, I'm referring to the lands conflict, not the specific current political conflict that's going Mm -hmm. on. That's been closer to 50 years. But yeah, even in our Discord, you know, people are pointing out some very obvious, unsettling things about this. For sure. And yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, again, really interested in hearing from folks about this because, again, I'm not afraid to admit that I'm not well versed on this. And I would I just wouldn't want to be disingenuous and sit here because it really disturbs me. It's a humanitarian crisis and I want to speak to it because I feel compelled to do so. But it would also be disingenuous for me to sit here and pretend that I knew what I was talking about. But at the same time, I didn't want to ignore it. So in some lighter news, we went and this is a complete pivot. (laughs) It happens. We had custom Funkos of ourselves made by one of our listeners, Natalie. She created mock-ups a few weeks ago in the Facebook group and uh, just for fun. And we saw them and we loved them. And we said, Natalie, we would love if you actually created these for real, because that's what she does. She makes Real Funkos. And her side hustle is called Nick Knack Natalie. We can include a link in this week's show notes. And uh, we each got our Funkos. And man, they are so cool. I mean, I'm going to hold up mine to the camera right now. We'll also post pictures on social media for everybody. But uh, she creates the boxes too. So she created like a millennial series. And if you know what Funkos look like, you know how these series look. And I mean, this looks like the real deal. This looks like, it really you know, does. you you would see this in Hot Topic or something. Maybe I'll put this in Hot Topic and I'll see if any see if anybody actually buys it. Just <gasps> drop it there. <laughs> You're going to drive the employees crazy because somebody's going to want to buy it and they're going to be like, I can't find the price. <laughs> they scan the barcode and the money just goes directly to my Venmo. That would be so fun. Not that anybody that would, would buy this. Is there a barcode on there? Oh, no, she didn't no, put a barcode. Not. That would be pretty funny, though, if she had. I'm going to bring this to a hot topic, just put it there and take a picture of it. <laughs> you should just say that you got it as a gift and you want to return it. Yeah, they'll oh, be like, um, man. this is a custom. They're going to look at your card and be like, wait, Andrew? Yeah, you're going to have to have that Andrew. do it instead. <laughs> so she'll add accessories, too. I have mine. Uh, Andrew Funko. Funko Andrew is uh, wearing headphones and holding a microphone. And I have a millennial T-shirt on. So I took mine out of the package because I'm bad. Um, oh, <laughs> lost gosh. all its value. Yeah, it did. So there's mine. She's first of all, she's wearing a red panda onesie, just like the one Andrew got me for Christmas a couple years ago. <laughs> she's also holding a Dunkin' Donuts cup. I love that. As you can see, I know That's I love her. Amazing. She got my glasses, y'all. It's the same <laughs> glasses. She did my glasses identical, and she gave me purple hair, which I love. I just left mine the way that she had designed it. If you guys are in the Facebook group, um, you might have seen her mock-ups, which is how we uh, found her. So that's mine. She's wearing a little black dress, and I think I have a phone in my hand, but it's super cool. Just like the real Pam. 
<laughs> Always with a phone in my hand. Always with the phone. Isn't your shirt? Isn't your dress polka dot today? No, no, no. Uh, the, oh yeah, the, the dress. Out. The dress has uh, black polka dots. Yeah, and I love uh, that because you have a dress. With yeah, a, she, no, she she modeled it after a, a picture that I have up on my Instagram. It's it's my Instagram profile picture. Oh, so that's okay. the dress. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's spot so on though cool. because I think you've worn it mm-hmm. uh, while recording the show. Oh yeah, definitely. Too. It's a good dress. So I was happy to uh, to have my Funko uh, immortalize the dress. Laura had two of her made because she's just obsessed with herself. No. I know Mark wanted one. Yeah. See, this is what I was afraid of. I knew that once we got on air, you were going to use that against me. No. It's cause... not against you. I'm glad she got more business. Yeah, that's true. No, we- I uh... love that Mark wanted one, though, he because you guys one. live in the same house. I <laughs> yeah. Know. What is she, like... she going to do with it? He'll put it on his. He has a bunch of Funkos that he decorates his okay. desk with. So he's just gonna so you, add it. You to need his a collection. Laura Funko on your desk, and he needs one on his desk. I I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> and don't you like share the same desk? No, <laughs> we no, we don't. We have separate desks. <laughs> well, these are great, Natalie. You did an amazing job. Yeah, and again, it's knickknack, really Natalie. Natalie told us she is not currently accepting new orders for custom physical Funkos, but she is doing digital designs right now, and she told us she will be accepting new physical orders soon once she replenishes her materials. All right, so Pam, we've got an interesting vaccination update. Yeah, so um, the White House is really hoping that they can get young people, specifically lonely single young people, to get vaccinated, and they're doing this by teaming up with a bunch of the bigger dating apps. Uh, So on Friday, they actually announced that they are teaming with Tinder, Hinge, Bumble, Badoo, um, OkCupid, Chisba. A lot of these I have never heard of before, honestly. Uh, BLK and Match. And they are going to be encouraging users of these apps to get vaccinated by offering some incentives. Um, So there are going to be some premium features that you're going to be able to access for free um, and it's going to be dependent app to app what they decide to offer. Um, so sites like OkCupid, for example, are going to have free boosts available for people that are vaccinated users so that their profiles are more likely to be seen first. Uh, Plenty of Fish is also in on the deal. They're offering free credits for their live streaming feature for vaccinated users. In addition, all of the apps uh, that have been listed are going to have special badges and stickers that users can display on their profiles to let everybody know they've been vaccinated. And also, you can filter out non-vaccinated people so that when you swipe, you'll know (laughs) that the person you're potentially matching with is vaccinated, depending they did not lie about this. Um, And then, of course, there's going to be in-app links that will help uh, people that aren't vaccinated find their closest vaccination sites. So when they announced this, the White House COVID advisor said, quote, people who display their vaccination status are 14 percent more likely to get a match. We have finally found the one thing that makes us all more attractive. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. It's true. Yeah, this is pretty cool. I mean, I like seeing how businesses are encouraging people to get vaccinated. We've seen, Mm -hmm. uh, of course, I think one of the earliest businesses to woo lure people was uh, Krispy Kreme with the free donut if you show your vaccination card. And uh, I know the casinos here in Vegas are encouraging uh, employees to get vaccinated by putting them into lotteries and whatnot. And actually, speaking of lotteries, uh, Karen brought up last week uh, this million dollar lottery contest in Ohio. Five people can win a million dollars 
just by getting vaccinated. Well, there was a report this week, vaccinations increased by 33% in Ohio after the lottery was announced. So this is working. Yeah. Well, I guess that answered your question, Andrew. I think you asked, do we think this will incentivize people? Yeah, I mean, I honestly didn't know. I would not have guessed <laughs> vaccination. It was 33% more vaccinations compared to the previous week. That's a big bump. And nothing else would have done that in Ohio. People didn't just wake up one morning and were like, oh, you know what? I'll get vaccinated. Fuck it. No, they saw this million dollar lottery. Five people can win a million bucks. I'm in. Why not? I mean, I would, I, if I was on the fence, I definitely would do it because, you know, it's like, it's like when uh, Mega Millions, the jackpots get very, very high, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Everybody starts hopping into the lottery. And uh, that's exactly what's happening here because everybody thinks they're actually going to win. So, Great job, Ohio. Maybe some other states will follow now that they see some data coming out of Ohio. I have a feeling a lot of people will be willing to lie to just bypass and get all these extra benefits. So that's a bummer. Mm -hmm. That's my whole thing, too. But I just I mean, I'm sure that there are so many people lying anyway in day to day life. Oh, yeah. You look at the number of people walking around without masks right now and you're Mm -hmm. like, there's no way this guy is vaccinated. He just he looks like he just got out of a Trump rally. I know. (laughs) And it's really hard not to stereotype people in that way, because for all we know, maybe they have been. I mean, I have. I know uh, Republican Trump supporters who have been vaccinated And anytime I see somebody and my brain like wants to gravitate towards that, I'm going to stereotype this person who's in like a camo hat and like (laughs) camo like overalls like I'm going to stereotype them. I have to remember that I personally know people who are of that particular ideological persuasion who have been vaccinated. So it's really hard. I'm going to try to keep that in mind. And I actually heard a similar story earlier today. My friend, his girlfriend's parents, hardcore Trump fans, they were one of the first people to get vaccinated. They were first in line. They really wanted to get vaccinated. Yeah. So some people are out there. They might. There but might be the hope hand, for them. Yeah, I'll tr- I will try to keep that in mind. But on the other hand, I go into the food store. I see a guy, you know, again, the camo gear. He's wearing a shirt that just says hunt across it. Right. Big letters. He's not wearing a mask. I'm like, something tells me this guy thinks he's not afraid of COVID. And uh, he doesn't need the vaccination. Yeah. So I will say on our drive home, we stopped in Mississippi to grab something to eat. Oh, Jesus. And yeah, you can tell where this is going. And we walked in and we were we ended up being in line behind someone who was open carrying and he had a pistol or whatever handgun in his holster. I don't even know what it was, Uh, but his holster said we the people on it and it had oh, like God. of course it a did. bald eagle on it and i was like oh my you're in a fucking whataburger dude like what do you <laughs> what do you think is gonna happen here <laughs> he's ready to throw down everywhere <laughs> you should have reported him to the Jeez. fbi there's a 100 percent chance he was at the insurrection uh yeah but here's the thing though he otherwise seemed like a perfectly lovely person like we happened to get to the entrance of the restaurant at the same time as each other. And so me and Mark and this guy, we were all like having a politeness fight over who was going to hold the door open for who. <laughs> and then we got inside and we had another politeness fight about who was going to go in line in front of the other. 
And it wasn't until I was like, oh, no, we really don't know what we want. You go ahead. He was like, oh, okay, thanks so much, y'all. Like super soft spoken gets in front of us. And that's when I noticed the gun. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Oh, wow. I was going to say, I thought you were just being super polite because uh, he was carrying that gun. No, no, we didn't realize. And I actually asked Mark, like, at one point, I was like, do you want to leave? Like, do you want to go? And he was like, no. That is. He he was like, we should just be cool. Like, just be cool. (laughs) I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes me uncomfortable for sure. I know. I was like, I like, and nobody else cared like it was very clear that that was such a normal thing to do there nobody batted an eye it was very bizarre and i'm from georgia right like it's not to say not to say people don't do that here but it was a whole new level in mississippi needless to say you weren't asking him why he wasn't wearing a mask no nobody in there was wearing a mask (laughs) (laughs) i shouldn't laugh We laugh so we don't cry. Yeah, I'm That's crying true. and laughing simultaneously. <laughs> Apologies to any Mississippi listeners who uh, might be offended by this conversation, but I think no, you... it's it's nothing against people who live in Mississippi. It was this specific person. All right, and also I just did want to note something. Um, when we were discussing last week, no longer having to wear a mask in this country, a couple of our listeners said that they were feeling extreme FOMO because it sounds like we're kind of like past COVID here in America. And somebody else had noted that we don't really talk about the rest of the world when it comes to uh, where different country countries are uh, with COVID. And I just want to say we are very aware that COVID is far from over, especially for some countries like India, Brazil, Argentina, and Colombia. America actually still has the fifth highest number of daily cases in the world. It is far from over here. And I think, like I said in the Facebook group, we feel uncomfortable with how things are reopening, especially with the CDC's updated guidelines last week uh, or two weeks ago now. So I just want to say that, yes, we do focus on the U.S. because we are all Americans here and we can't study the whole world for this show. It would be a full-time job. And, you know, Millennial has never set out to be a show about the entire world. That's all to say we will proudly primarily stick to the U.S. in most cases. Um, But we are aware that things aren't going as well in other countries. And look, we, we feel you because we saw Australia, New Zealand, and other countries reopen, including China. Uh, or parts of China, at least, uh, months ago. I can understand where people are coming from. And it's probably, obviously, not just us. I mean, I'm sure that people are so sick and tired of being bombarded with news about the United States. We're kind of like, I've heard the comparison of like, especially for our neighbors to the north and to the south, um, being a neighbor to the United States is like, being next to a sleeping elephant, if it rolls over, it absolutely impacts you, but the <laughs> elephant doesn't notice. Um, and I'm sure it's really frustrating for people outside of this country, especially with the context of how poorly we handled the pandemic in 2020, to see us ahead on vaccinations relative to some of these other countries that are still suffering, especially when we have a stockpile of excess vaccines here. I believe the Biden administration 
either sent or will soon be sending some of those extra doses to Canada, which is a good first step. But we absolutely should be doing more to make sure that we're sharing the wealth. Um, I think that the Biden administration has also made moves to allow for generic reproduction of the vaccine recipes, if you will, (laughs) in in other countries, which is a good step. But I can completely understand why it's super frustrating to watch this country that just like is honestly kind of it's like your your younger fuck up cousin. And it's like it's probably like watching your younger fuck up cousin get something handed to them after they've just fucked up again and again and again. So I can understand the frustration that is to say. And they will be sending vaccinations around the world. Uh, about 10% of our supply. Could it be more? Good. Maybe. Yeah, and if, if that is available, we really should be sending it elsewhere because other countries do need our help. I agree. Also, I did just want to lull at something I saw in the past week. Starbucks is considering leaving Facebook entirely due to the amount of hate speech on their platform. So like many brands, Starbucks gets tons of hateful comments every time they post about racial and social justice issues. You may have seen those messages in their comments before, and they can't keep up with moderating these. And they also can't disable the comments. So they feel stuck and they're over it. Um, Facebook, of course, is scared to potentially lose their advertising dollars and just to see a company leave Facebook. That would be hugely embarrassing. Um, I This cracks me up just because we all know that Facebook has been so slow to move on moderating their damn platform and getting rid of the bots and just getting rid of all these people who post terrible stuff in other people's comments or just making it easier to hide these comments or easier to detect and automatically hide. I don't, you know, they, they talk about making improvements, but has anybody noticed any differences? I look in the Starbucks comments and, and, and news article comments and it's all horrible stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time when it comes to racial and societal issues so I really hope Facebook leaves. Does Facebook even need does does Starbucks even need Facebook? No. In my opinion, Starbucks doesn't even need to advertise, period. Everybody just thinks of coffee when they wake up in the morning. They don't need to advertise on Facebook or any anywhere else. Also, who hasn't had the experience of seeing somebody melt down in a Starbucks over the holiday themed cups, for example? And then immediately oh, yeah. turn around and buy a drink anyway. That's true. It doesn't. Starbucks is so ubiquitous. It doesn't really matter where you fall in the political spectrum. You're still going to buy coffee there, especially out of the convenience for it. Like you can go through a drive through and get a custom coffee drink. Like, yeah, they're going to be fine. Exactly. It always cracks me up when people are like, I am never going to Starbucks again or any business because they're annoyed at something that, you know, the the corporate social media account posted. Of course, they're going back. They go to Starbucks all the time. They go to Burger King all the time. They love these places and they're not quitting them. They just feel good saying that they're never going again. And then a day later, they realize, wait, I can't quit you. I wish I knew how to quit you. (laughs) In all your Black Lives Matter posts. (sighs) So, yeah. Starbucks, please leave Facebook, please. I would just love to see that. That would be so great. And I feel for the social media teams who have to deal with all this abuse every time they try to make a good 
post on their social media networks. We should leave Facebook. Wouldn't that <laughs> yeah, be nice? We, I think about it all the time. I Me hate too. it. <laughs> you know what? The reality, though, is that Facebook groups are very good. There's no quitting because of that. I've I've tried before to leave yeah. Facebook personally. I've turned off notifications, but then I turn them back on because I just I can't quit you. I wish I knew how to quit you, but everybody's there. And the marketplace feature is really great, too. Indeed. Well, jumping into politics now, we do have an update related to the conversations we've had over the last couple of months with regard to the increase in anti-Asian hate crimes in the United States specifically. Um, President Biden signed a COVID-19 hate crimes legislation after overwhelming support uh, for that act uh, came about in both chambers of Congress. The COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act was introduced by Representative Grace Meng of New York and Senator Maisie Hirono of Hawaii. Um, Before we get into some details about the act, I thought we could play a mini edition of the number. Just two quick ones here. What number of House Republicans voted against the act. 95. I'll go a little higher. No, I'll go a little lower. 72. <laughs> it was a, like not quite that bad. It was 62, but still pretty bad. Like how do you mm-hmm. how do you justify this? And then yeah. on the Senate side, how many do you think voted against? Just to be clear, no Democrats voted against it. <laughs> just just, Republic, <laughs> just, just, just Republicans. Republicans. So Even in the House? Correct. Uh, uh, 20, 27. <laughs> I was going to say 25. Only one. Oh, that's not oh. that bad. Only wow. one. And it was none Cruise. other than Josh Hawley. Oh, uh, okay. Our favorite, wow. favorite uh, Senator fuck nugget over here. It's not very long. It's only a few pages and really easily readable in one setting. So if you're interested in learning more or developing your own take on this, we'll definitely link to it in the show notes. Um, But one of the um, summaries that's provided early on in the act, it says, according to a recent report, there were nearly 3,800 reported cases of anti-Asian discrimination and incidents related to COVID-19 between March 19th, 2020 and February 28th, 2021 in all 50 states and the District of Columbia. Um, the act also goes on to recognize the mass shooting that happened here in Atlanta only a few weeks ago that claimed eight lives, seven of whom were women and six of whom were of Asian descent. Um, So it feels very timely, given all of the conversations that have been going on. And I don't know about y'all, but it feels like a step in the right direction to at least see something come about so quickly in response to these events. I feel like, and I mean, we're all, we, we don't have the lengthiest of political minds here on the show because we're all in our early to mid 30s. But it feels like we've we're so accustomed to hearing about these outrages, you know, it's justifiably an outrage and seeing our government not really address it other than through talking points. And to see that this moved so quickly through Congress and was ultimately signed by Biden um, almost immediately after that 
feels very encouraging to me, but I'm also not a member of the AAPI community, so I can't presume to speak for them or how this makes them feel. Dare I say it's because we have a Democrat-controlled House and Senate right now, so they feel like things like this can get passed much more easily? Yeah. Well, I mean, as we've seen, the Republicans don't really care about hamstringing Democratic agendas, right? But I think Mm -hmm. that this is one that's so straightforward that it makes you look like a bit of an asshole if you don't get on board with it. Like, what does it say about you if you're against hate crimes legislation? Right. And yet they will shamelessly vote against things like this. Yes. People will just forget about it, they think. Yeah. Well, Josh Hawley's reason for voting against this is he believes that it allows the federal government uh, sort of like unfettered overreach in terms of what qualifies as a hate crime or a hate incident and will thus restrict freedom of speech. Um, If you're interested in hearing that argument, it's not one that we're going to make here, um, because I think it's safe to say we think that that's bullshit. That's not what this says. If you read this act, that's not at all what it says. In fact, the act focuses very heavily on how we can utilize our existing law enforcement and Justice Department in order to drive better results around hate crime reporting. So that's really what the meat of this is about. Um, It allows the attorney general to designate a Justice Department official to expedite review of hate crimes reports at the federal, state, and local levels during a one-year period, which is subject to extension. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens because I bet they have a whole lot of data. Um, But this matters because in a previous episode, we discussed how hate crimes are reported inconsistently in the United States. Each state and locality has a different way of approaching this. Um, Some may categorize their data differently. They may consider you know, what one state may consider a hate crime may not rise to the definition of a hate crime in another state. Or some states like Alabama will report that they had zero hate crimes in a year. (laughs) So it's making it really difficult to be able to parse the data and determine what the cause is here and how we can root it out, at least from this particular vantage point. Um, But I thought it was really interesting to bring up that our attorney general is a little known former Obama nominated SCOTUS nominee Merrick Garland. And he had this to say about the act investigating and prosecuting hate crimes is a top priority deeply rooted in the Justice Department's founding. We will use the new law to enhance the aggressive measures we are taking to combat crime motivated by bigotry and discrimination. This also requires the attorney general to issue guidance to state, local, and tribal law enforcement agencies for establishing online reporting for hate crimes and incidents um, that is equally effective for people with disabilities and non-English speakers. It also requires them to collect this data and expand public education campaigns raising awareness of hate crimes. That all sounds great. Yeah. And just to be clear, it's not, it's all types of hate crimes yes yeah not obvious it's not just hate crimes against asian americans however 
the spike in hate crimes against the AAPI community is what has inspired this. Got it. Um, okay. Yeah. So it it would include all kinds of hate crimes. It also um, would include funding to allow states to implement their own um, hate crime reporting hotlines, which would be accessible for people with disabilities as well as people who, for whom English may not be their first language. So there is a lot of focus being put on building out a more consistent infrastructure across the board to make the reporting of these crimes easier and to make the data easier to understand. I'm wondering, do we think this can help? I always kind of feel like with this stuff, it's hard to say. Um, but the hope is that, yes, I think it also obviously depends on how much of um, this stuff gets reported. A lot of times it doesn't get reported because these people are so marginalized they're just, you know, to the point where it's like, what is the point of reporting it when it never really helps? You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is yeah. too bad. And I think stories like this, developments like this help bring attention to the issue and hopefully deter future hate crimes because people might realize that there's more of an effort at the top to put a stop to these types of crimes and to prosecute them. And it's also this bit you have here about establishing online reporting for hate crimes seems like a big development, too, mm -hmm. to bring more awareness to it and to simply be able to report the hate crimes to begin with. I'm hopeful stuff like this can help. Is it going to solve everything? No, no. But these are the types of steps we need. Yeah. The, the one sticking point for me, and it's not this isn't a criticism of the act at all. I mean, it's something that happens with any kind of legislation like this is it's up to the states to decide if they're going to roll with this. I mean, the way that this works is the attorney general and the Justice Department are able to give out grant money to participating states to help them build out this infrastructure. And if states take the grant money and they don't build out the infrastructure, there's a penalty plan where they have to repay those funds. But there's no penalty for just choosing to not be involved at all. And my fear is that the states that probably need this the most will choose to opt out. So it's not to say it's not to say that it won't help. And it's not to say that this isn't progress, but it is something that we need to keep in mind that like an act like this, it being signed uh, by the president and everything is not automatically going to require <laughs> states like mine, mm -hmm. for example, to implement a more robust reporting system for victims. Yeah. But we'll definitely keep an eye on this and we'll talk more about the states that decide to take part. I saw this tool in the New York Times. I'm always referencing the New York Times. It's like, that and the Washington Post are the only two smart websites that I go to. That, so that's why I reference them all the time. But they have this new tool to see how politically diverse your neighborhood is. And it gives you a couple of cool visuals. But also, it gives you specific numbers as to uh, how, how many people are Democrat and how many people are Republican and how many are independent. So I think I can guess how diverse your two's communities are. Uh, Pam, I'm guessing yours leans very blue. It does. I only have 12% of my neighbors as registered Republicans. Oh, my God. Which I'm not even surprised by. Um, so, <laughs> I didn't think yeah. it was that low. 
Yeah, that's I mean, pretty great. Some of these, there's a few. There's like a, a a tiny little dot here in the middle that says independent, but other than that, it is it's a very blue bubble. And like I said, I wasn't even surprised. I was like, oh yeah, that tracks. That makes sense. And how big of a red bubble do you live in, Laura? It depends on if you're asking me about where my parents live or if you're asking about where I live down in the mm. city. I pulled results for both. I will say, this is a caveat, um, Georgia does not require you to affiliate with a political party in order to... We have an open primary system, so you don't have to be a registered anything in order to vote in um, primaries here. So many people, even though they might vote one way or another, are not registered with a party. I myself am not registered as anything because I don't have to be. But yes, uh, in terms of where my parents live, I live in a Republican bubble. Only 8% of your neighbors are Democrats. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's crazy. I know. You can see why I'm so uncomfortable here. Yeah. And then where your condo is? Yeah. So where we typically live, um, we are in a Democratic bubble. Only 16% of your neighbors are Republicans. Oh, my gosh. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And well, how, how big of a drive? City. Yeah. An, how long of a drive? An hour. An hour makes a world of difference. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> my neighborhood is split right down the middle. Democrats, 49% Republicans, which I guess I'm okay with. I like the area, so I'm willing to accept that half of the people around me are Republicans. The New York Times also gives you this wider view where you can see uh, how diverse the entire area is. And you can see, I'm definitely in one of the more mixed areas of Vegas. If you go to central Vegas, it's a lot more blue. Um, so it's, it's also interesting to keep this in mind when, you know, maybe the next time I move, I don't know if, like, if I moved to a completely different city, I would probably look back at this tool, look at this tool again, because I would want to know what I'm potentially getting myself into. Call me a snowflake, but I do want to be surrounded by a lot of people who are registered Democrat. It's just comforting to know. I'm never going to put out a yard sign. No matter where I, well, maybe if I'm in Pam's area, I would. But in most places, I would probably not put out a yard sign. But still, just good to know that when I'm babbling here, if somebody out my window hears me, there's a good chance that they agree with my political views. It is kind of funny, though, because like you said, there's like a, uh, like a, it gives you like a broader view. And I, I do know this. I know that where I grew up and where I live, it is a bubble, like a, a blue bubble. but. The New York Times points out that there's a zip code 27 miles away that's roughly equal mix of Democrats and Republicans. That's not very far. Yeah. You know, no. I have it's literally one, just like, you know. Yeah, I have one like that nine miles away. That's 50 wow. 50. And I mean, Andrew, I think you raise a really valid point. I mean, especially like you're you're a minority, right, who can be targeted by people who don't agree with you about who you are, right? And I can understand why you wouldn't want to live in a community that is made up of people whose, like, the majority view is anti-LGBT. Like, I wouldn't want to live in a place like that. I think about, like, 
being in an interracial relationship, I don't want to live in a place like that. It makes me really yeah. uncomfortable to be in places like that. Yeah. Especially in a Whataburger in Mississippi. Exactly. <laughs> I was so scared. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. So speaking about the country on a whole, 38% of Democrats live in a bubble and 19% of Republicans live in a bubble, a bubble of their own. So yeah, cool tool. Yeah. We can throw it in the show notes. I'm sure people are interested. I know many people in our Discord right now are taking this test to see what's up in their neighborhoods. Hopefully there's not many surprises. I feel like people should have a good sense of what what the results are going to tell them before they pop in their address. But yeah, check it out. Finally, Pam, you have an update on the Olympics for us. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I completely forgot about the Olympics yep. uh, because they were supposed <laughs> to take place last year and they got pushed back. Um, I know that we talked a bit earlier in the show about how you know the vaccine rollout is doing really well here in America, but it's clearly not... Um, that's not the case for other countries um, and other regions as well. Um, and that's definitely not the case over in Japan. Uh, Tokyo is supposed to host the Olympics. Um, the Olympics uh, are said to take place on July 23rd. That's the tentative start date for kickoff. And it's getting a little convoluted um, for specifically for the people that live in Japan um, because they're in a state of emergency right now and they've had some upticks in COVID cases. Uh, but towards the end of last week, the International Olympics Committee Vice President John Coates drew criticism when he put his foot in his mouth saying that the IOC plans to go ahead with opening the Tokyo Games, even if the city and other parts of Japan are still in a state of emergency due to COVID, which is not a good look. Um, he had this quote as well about how the World Health Organization, other scientific and medical advice that they have been uh, given, say that all measures that the Olympics have outlined and all of those measures that they're undertaking are satisfactory and would ensure safe and secure games in terms of uh, health of, I guess, the athletes and also anybody that, you know, attends. Uh, and he also said that that's the case, whether this is a state of emergency or not in the host city, which kind of seems like BS to me. And clearly the people of Japan feel the same way because the Guardian reported some poll numbers and uh, 60% of the people that were polled are opposed of the Olympics going forward in July. So the IOC has until the end of next month to decide whether they're going to pull out or not. And this time, if they cancel, then they'll just cancel the games. They won't reschedule them at all. So it I don't know if like, oh, wow, you know, the outcry is going to be enough. But people are pretty clearly pissed off about these comments uh, because they do seem really, you know, um, crass uh, and not very empathetic towards, you know, a country and a city that's clearly still struggling. This I feel bad for the people of Japan. That's yeah. that's my concern yeah. here. But I think we've seen time and time again, studios, sports leagues, etc. take serious precautions to keep mm-hmm. COVID out. You know, lots of testing and all that, limiting the number of people and contact and all that. And it has worked for the most part. I believe the IOC when they say that, you know, they are putting stringent protocols in place and they're taking this very seriously and all that. I feel like they could pull off a successful Olympics without a huge outbreak. But again, just the fact that the people of Japan don't want it, that makes me think they should be 
canceled. Michelle is also putting uh, bringing up a good point in the Discord, saying that Japan is only five percent vaccinated as of right now. So that is uh, obviously a point of concern. Yeah. Um, something that they are doing to kind of keep the game safe is prohibiting attendance from international travelers as well. But they still haven't decided how many spectators are going to be able to attend who are already in Japan. And that's the thing, right? Like, obviously, Olympics sports, but it's also about making money. You know, it generates a lot of revenue for like tourism and stuff like that oh, so yeah. I, i'm sure that a lot of people have, have already bought tickets too like the ioc probably doesn't want to refund those tickets so mm. i'm sure it's a matter of finances as well yeah i also just think about this isn't the first time that the olympics or really any major sports federation has forced itself upon a country that didn't want it <laughs> um look at what's happened in brazil like, look at what's happened in Rio. Um, I think FIFA was probably the most recent example of what happened there, where they basically forced a bunch of people out of their homes, um, people who were effectively homeless and had sort of, I, I don't know if they do tent cities there like we see here in the States, but I know that there was a similar circumstance in which a lot of homeless people were displaced as a result of the construction that has to happen around one of these events, not to mention the economic impact that's left when a huge event like this comes into your city and pumps a lot of new construction, as I said, or an economic boom, and then it all of a sudden disappears overnight. We've heard of these like completely vacant Olympic villages that are left in these cities after the Olympics leave. So it does have further reaching consequences than just the pandemic impact on people. The pandemic just shines a light on everything and, and makes us see where the cracks are even more than we realized before. So I could see this even if we could have a whole episode about this, honestly, the consequences yeah, of having a major sporting event somewhere. And we dealt with that, too, in San Francisco a few years ago when the um, Super Bowl City was in the was in our city. Mm -hmm. um, it was especially ridiculous because the um, for, where the 49ers play, which is where the Super Bowl was being held, is all the way in Santa Clara now, which is not in San Francisco. That's about 45 minutes south. So um, it was just kind of ridiculous that, you know, San Francisco ha decided to flip the bill for all of the security and all of the stuff that they brought in. Um, and people were really pissed off about that because it comes out of taxpayer do dollars and, you know, obviously the displacement of homeless people as well. It was just like really um, disgusting to watch, you know, um, uh, law enforcement clear them out so that celebrities could come and, and hang out. Um, in the city for like, you know, a few yeah. days. This is what happened with the Oscars mm -hmm. a few weeks it did, ago. Yeah, too. it is. It leaves a bad taste in your mouth, doesn't it? Just to, yeah. to know that that's what's happening. I, I will say it is a good unifying event for the world. And I think this year, out of most past Olympic Games, we need something like this. Um, people love following the Olympics. It's fun to follow. So it I'm very is. torn on this situation right now. I, w I think they should have no spectators for starters. Yeah, that part seems sure. like a no brainer. 
Uh, but I assume every Olympian is vaccinated. Everybody within these venues is going to be vaccinated. So I, I still feel like they can do it safely. And look, the Olympics are just going to be a part of life always. So it's something that needs to be dealt with better. And to the point about these Olympic villages and, and these these this housing they build for the athletes. Yeah, that stuff needs to be handled a lot better. Just turn it into affordable housing. Why is that not like an automatic thing? That is done. Yeah. It really seems like if you're going to come in with all of this money and influence, you should want to leave your host city a gift. Yeah. <laughs> like, how about some found affordable it. housing? Isn't like, isn't the Space Needle like a relic of the uh, Olympics? Am I wrong about that? Oh, I don't know. Did Seattle need that, though? I don't, they didn't. But there's <laughs> like a lot, even like the, the world. Wait Fair a second. Too, like, is it? Pe- My mom said people- this. Okay, if like if I'm wrong, it's because I'm Mama G said this the other day, and I was like, I didn't never knew that, Mom. But okay, don't get me wrong, it's iconic. But I mean, if yeah. you're gonna leave or is something it like a behind, world fair thing, because we have a lot of yeah. stuff from the world. It was fair a world fair out. thing. Uh, okay, she was kind of close, but not no cigar. <laughs> <laughs> that's great for tourism, though, and that's yeah, another point is. I wanted to make. I think you know these Olympic villages, if they take care of them can be great for tourism. They'll just turn them into Airbnbs. There are a lot of reasons why cities want these that we understand. But yes, there are a lot of problems as well. It's just particularly complicated now. Yeah. I say keep the Olympic Games on. Also, I find it funny that they're still calling them the Tokyo 2020 Olympics when, you know, (laughs) we're now in 2021. Like, we're still in 2020. Yeah, like, why Why not we just get change a redo. the year? A lot of people would like that. I think that'd be a refreshing change. <laughs> is it because they printed all the merchandise that says 2020 on it? Like, I don't know. That part is, Pro- probably, is hard It's probably really expensive to get rid of. Yeah. We could sell that vintage, you know? That's and like nobody wants to think of 2020. Who wants to buy a shirt that says 2020? Unless it's our sweet That's millennial true. 2020 shirt. That is a really good shirt. We should just have them sell those at the Olympics. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, we'll see what happens there. Before we get to recommendations, we wanted to let everybody know that we will be taking off next week. It is Memorial Day, and we've been podcasting every week since uh, the start of the year. So it's time for a small break. So we'll see everybody in two weeks from now. Okay, time for recommendations. I have a couple that will keep you busy over our break. Uh, First of all, Mayor of Easttown. This is airing on HBO right now. The series finale airs this weekend. It stars Kate Winslet. It's a whodunit drama set set in Pennsylvania. They've got these thick Pennsylvanian accents, and I am absolutely obsessed with them. I keep trying to do the accent myself, and I'm really, really bad at it. Uh, but that doesn't stop me from entertaining myself by attempting to do this this accent. It's just something they do with the O's. It's, 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 it's oh like, yeah. Give me a word with an O in it. Ocean. 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 Time to go home. Yeah. Into the ocean. Like it's just so heavy. I just I love it so much. Um, <laughs> and as somebody who grew up near Pennsylvania, you see like Wawa and Yingling beer, and like they they lean in on all the Pennsylvanian stuff. So, um, but that aside, it's a very good crime drama. Please do check it out. There's a lot happening, a lot of interesting characters, and some big twists. Also, I want to recommend this new online competitive game, Knockout City. It's dodgeball online. 
and they just opened up a trial. You can get it on PS4, 5, Switch, Xbox. It is a lot of fun, and I really like these competitive online games where you can just jump in and jump out, play whenever you want uh, for a few minutes or a lot longer like I did uh, yesterday for an hour. Fun different levels, very colorful. You and your team have to win uh, the best of three rounds. So I thought that was an interesting twist as well. So check out Knockout City. Uh, Well, my recommendation can also keep you busy if you so choose. I would like to recommend Alcoholic Popsicles. Uh, Discovered that they carry these at Costco recently. They are reminiscent of something from our youth. Remember the little plastic popsicles that came in liquid form and you threw them in the freezer and you could take them out and snap, like cut the top of it off and then just sort of eat the popsicle out of the little plastic tube. Yeah. 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 Yep. So they make those in alcoholic form. Maybe they've been doing that and I've just missed out on it up until recently, but got some at Costco. They were delicious. We ran out of them. So we went to Kroger and we found some more. So it seems like these are widely available. They're so good. And there's like a lot of childhood nostalgia factor there mixed with the fact that you can get a little bit of a buzz on while you're eating them. So yeah, you know, I too only saw them at Costco last year, but then I too saw them at the food store this year. And Mm -hmm. Jewel is saying she saw them at Target as well. Um, So yeah, I guess they're spreading. This is catching on. Yeah. These are the new hard seltzers. (gasps) Maybe. And they're like 8% alcohol for that little... (laughs) That little tube of frozen ice. It's a lot. So you can have a couple of those and feel pretty good. And keep cool. Um, I feel like I haven't done a music recommendation in a while. So I wanted to recommend Olivia Rodrigo's debut album, Sour. Um, It's really good. It's a really solid uh, debut album. And she's pretty young. So the writing is pretty impressive given her age. Uh, It's definitely just like full of a bunch of breakup songs. So If you want something that's angry and also fun to listen to, I would recommend that. But I think it was just really cool to kind of see um, her music influences steeped throughout the record. So it's definitely very pop, but there's a lot of like alt rock vibes in there, a little bit of like power punk rock as well. So uh, check that out if you haven't yet, because uh, I'm sure you've heard the singles on the radio and stuff. But there's some other really good tracks on there as well. She really blew up quick, huh? Yeah, After she did. After being on High School Musical. Mm-hmm. Peps has a fun hack for Laura's rack. You can also make your own of the non-alcoholic ones by cutting them open, draining like a third of the liquid, adding your own alcohol, then Ooh. resealing it with a flat iron. Oh, my God. That would totally work. Yes. Oh, I'm going to do that. Interesting. Let's let's be real. I haven't seen any with tequila in them yet, and I feel like tequila would be pretty good in those. There you go. What did uh, (laughs) our listener Chloe say? Hot shot summer. There we go. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to today's episode. We really appreciate your listenership and your support. Oh, and if you do support us... You'll hear a new installment of After Dark right after today's main show. What are we doing today, Laura? We're doing a Discord Q&A with everybody who's tuning in with us live tonight. So we're going to have a relaxed, laid back After Dark session where we let y'all ask questions or tell us what you want us to talk about and we'll do it. It's going to be great. We'll do a lie. Fuck it. Fuck it. Fucking thing sucks. (laughs) So that'll be available at patreon.com slash millennial. Also, make sure you are following the show for free on your favorite podcasting app so you never miss an episode of the show. 
You can contact us by writing directly to millennialshow at gmail.com or by using the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. You can also follow us on social media. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, Bye. everyone.